to another episode of HR Apparel 2.0. I'm Pete Tiliakis, and as always, I'm joined by the legendary Julie Fernandez. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much, Pete. Yeah, good to have you. And we have company this week. I'm so excited. Sylvia Corhonen is here, a world-renowned global payroll <laughs> expert, as I like to call her. I know she is a transformation pro, and today she is the global payroll transformation leader at Fresenius Medical Care. So welcome, Sylvia. It's so exciting to have you. Hi, Pete. Hi, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you, thank you. We we are. I know I follow your your thought leadership online. I love the perspectives that you have. I know you're in the thick of global payroll transformation. I know you've. It's not your first rodeo, as we would say here in America. And so I'm excited to learn from you and share with what what you're doing out there in the space. So excited to have you. Same here. Absolutely. <laughs> first of all, tell us what you do. Tell us where you do it, and we'd love to know about your year. What's how's it been? What do you got? What do you got going on? 2023 has been very fulfilling. I've been focused on creating global governance, looking at strategic planning into the years to come. I've also been focused on growing the team and really preparing for uh, transition work that is going to fall across 2024 and also starting to look at compliance. So there's a lot of exciting launches next year and a lot of good standards uh, to come. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. Hey, Sorry, you know, go, Julie. When you introduced Sylvia right away, you mentioned not the first rodeo, right? And I think that even though we've had a little chance to get to know you, Sylvia, I, it would be great for our listeners to also know, like, what other rodeos have, do you have in your background? Yeah, you, <laughs> you've been there, done that. Sure. Yeah. So fully my background, you know, is with, well, psychology. I, always very, I was always very passionate about social and organizational psychology and really group dynamics. So falling into HR has been very natural to me. I started off in the field with supporting UK and Ireland, as well as Poland, and then slowly seeing, you know, how complex stakeholder management is. I recognized payroll as, as if you will, like a very exciting field because it's so critical. It is so highly skilled and such a complex discipline. And as you both know, once you fall into payroll, there's no going back. So that's that's been my that's been my way to payroll, and yep, yeah, one of the first kind of takes in payroll was was of course operations, yeah, supporting regular, if you will, work, and then slowly diving into global projects, implementations, mergers, acquisitions, and starting to create a large scale impact and driving transformation efforts. And up to this date, I have worked on four, uh, 15 country transitions and implementations and just been enjoying creating impact for companies with a huge footprint. What, what, what keeps you here, Sylvia? What, what makes you stay around payroll? <laughs> the crazy question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great now question. Now that you found your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think the most fulfilling part is seeing efficiencies and sustainable change. So really changing the ways of work and creating value to the organization. It's nice to see, you know, enhanced, for instance, employee experience. It's really nice to see lean processes. So I think seeing those fruits of labor is something that just, yeah, it's, it's so incredible and special. Oh yeah. And lots of opportunities for efficiencies as we all, as we all very much know, but you know, one other thing I wanted to ask, I know you might have some more Julie too, but you know, someone asked me this the other day and I'm just curious from your vantage point, right? You're a global leader. You're out there on the spear tip of the spear, transforming an organization. Like how would you describe what 2023 was like as an organization operating, but also going through this, this change? So I think 2023 
especially kind of when I look externally, you know, there's been so many kind of changes in the space. <clears throat> of course, maybe just focusing on EU's AI Act or UK's AI regulatory framework that comes around, seeing already discussions around stricter internal controls, around risk assessments, and kind of preparing for 2024 and the adoption through 2026. This is something that I've I've truly felt, you know, discussed within the organization. I see a lot of shift in 2023 from, let's say, a regular, if you will, payroll stance to a focus on financial well-being. There's always been earned wage access as a large topic, but I feel like right now I'm starting to see a lot of vendor partnerships with benefit platforms. And this is, again, something that there's discussions around and how can we leverage that technology or those partnerships? One more piece that I've really kind of spotted across the industry as well as the organization is kind of how payment rails are seen and whether this is something that is pitched further or whether it is something that is seen fully external. So I think there's been a lot of focus on that, especially seeing suppliers uh, dig into that space. Well, Pete, that that second area of the payment space probably resonates to you particularly. Yeah. I know when when Sylvia, when you're talking about the partnerships with the different benefits platforms, I think that's that's mirrors a lot of our experience, right? We often find that the global payroll type projects lead you to total reward type projects or vice versa, right? In this environment where there's so much talent. So so it's interesting that you're seeing that you've seen that as a practitioner in what you're doing. And I also think it was really interesting, you know, that you introduced your last year's role as dealing with global governance. And I was just wanted to ask that, did governance come first? Because so many people start diving into trans transition and, and, and things. And so I just wanted to understand if you were at, if you were actually starting with governance and preparations, or if it was coming here in the tail end of some big transformation. That's a really great question. So absolutely my take and kind of our strategic leader, leadership here is to start off with governance, to define, you know, roles and responsibilities, to truly define that utopian end state, but also creating a framework of what are our controls, what is what are our standard processes, and then finding, you know, local or regional deviations. So creating governance, understanding touch points, manual interferences across also teams and kind of defining our stakeholders. I think it's a really good baseline to to later define and um, kind of seek efficiencies. So absolutely uh, global governance and kind of Defining the roles as well as potentially looking at workforce planning is, is something that I typically start off with prior to really undertaking any transformation initiatives as, again, it's, it really supports then strategic planning. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I mean, we knew we knew when when we got introduced that we were going to geek out on payroll and payroll transformation and specifically on strategy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh well, why wouldn't you start there? Because you know, global payroll strategy is something you know you're known for and that we know you for. So very cool. Well, it might not surprise folks. Like we always start with kind of like a framework of things we want to talk with. And with Celia, like we're like off and running in many different directions without even thinking oh, about the so framework, questions. right? Celia, one of the things like Pete and I being US-based, that can be an advantage and a disadvantage. And that's oftentimes where it's the headquarters that drives the strategy, right? So I just wanted to uh, give you a chance and ask a little bit about you know, the global operations knowledge and experience. I mean, it's, it feels like it's so much easier and more common when you're coming out 
of EMEA, right, than coming from the U.S., where we, we talk a lot and we do a lot around the strategy, but, you know, maybe maybe a lot of folks that are leading the global payroll strategy haven't really haven't really gotten that much <laughs> that much global experience under their belt. Or don't have a strategy. Yeah, or don't have a strategy. And absolutely. And just touching on your experience with Workday Rising, right, there's so many kind of opportunities. And I feel like there's significantly maybe more conferences within the U.S. to align and really seek that expertise. And I do think, you know, strategic planning within the, if you will, headquarters of the U.S. is maybe more defined. However, just maybe speaking about Workday, right, uh, just as a system itself, it, that is something, right, that is very established in Europe. And it is visible across all organizations. However, since it is, well, let's say, if you will, native, Workday Payroll native to Canada, US, UK, France, right? I feel like that is something that is not yet prevalent within Europe. And there are so many different competing software systems or service providers that that really dominate the, the market. I feel like overall the landscape is in Europe is so fragmented and there's so many products that are targeted for small, mid, maybe large markets. And there's so many aggregators, which I guess mirrors the landscape. And I feel like companies in Europe, they often see global expansion. There's so many acquisitions. And I think that overall there just seems to be this need of more than payroll to the payroll solutions within Europe. So I see value being placed on, you know, employer of record services on the scalability of the project, uh, sorry, of the product and overall maybe legal consultancy. So it seems that Europe is pretty unique because it is so fragmented and maybe there is just so much emphasis on, for instance, collective bargaining agreements that really steers away from being dominated by by a true market leader that's that that's my personal uh, thought what do you think Pete Julie well, well I'll jump in and just say when I'm working with any any company but European companies in particular or working with IT folks as part of an evaluation strategically there's a tendency by some buyers in the market to look at workday and kind of count the number of countries that are native in the product and count that as you know how robust use that as a reflection of how robust the product is or where or how you have to approach that and it feels a bit short-sighted just because workday it, where which you were just talking about they have a different a whole different approach to connecting different countries right and and so you know if the approach is count how many countries get listed in an RFP, then Workday is going to, you know, have like four or however many, right? Correct. And and it doesn't reflect. And, and if that is a ding or if that is a count against them, then you're really not understanding, you know, the way that they approach connections and how that's different from those that are trying to build a native model model. So modules. So it's a tricky space, and and it's why it's so exciting to talk to people like you, Celia. Yeah. And there's more than one way of solving it now, right? You don't have to go about it necessarily any one specific way, but you're absolutely right. The integration is, especially for global payroll, it's it's absolutely vital for it to be top notch, right? Leading edge uh, of the innovation. That, that tends to be one of the areas where whenever you do look at solutions, when there's a, a degraded customer experience, it does tend to point to often their own 
lack of usage or engagement of the platform or the willingness to change. But more importantly, integrations typically are uh, a key area where it's not meeting expectations. And I find that a lot, um, especially across payroll, where it, it can surface itself very, very obviously. And But I think that all of the platforms that are out there now are really getting to becoming almost integrations, you know, integrations as a service. And I think that, you know, they can plug and play pretty much everywhere, which is beautiful. That's the beauty of the API. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, so Sylvia, I kind of feel like we started with global experience with payroll, which you have boatloads Mm -hmm. of, right? And, and we know we want to talk about global payroll strategy itself. So, you know, so how did your journey go from your own hands-on to global payroll strategy? It's a really good question, and it's very hard for me to pinpoint the exact moment when I recognize that my role truly shifted to strategy. It feels like everything naturally fell into place after seeing overall how kind of procurement initiatives started occur- appearing or when I started communicating expected cost reductions or um, after communicating to stakeholders who the transformational efforts and seeing that enhanced employee experience and recognizing, for instance, the increased compliance controls. So I think that that were the times maybe where my shift started focusing also on quality assurance and looking at metrics and comparing various countries on a global level. I think those were those trigger points mm-hmm. for me. And then simply it just needed a yeah, label. Right? But I think I can say that the, the first time when I really felt that payroll is strategic is creating a formal framework and a formal plan. I mean, I know we're going to have folks that are on the, that are listening that are going to ask, like, what is strategy when it comes to global payroll? How do you even define that? Because it's not like yeah. you can say one provider equals, you know, a global payroll provider equals global payroll strategy. So what sorts of things would you, you know, do you, would you say you would point people to look at or, or think about as being the strategic aspects of bringing global payroll to the firm? So I would say that a payroll strategy, it's always composed of three items. It's always systems, processes, and people frameworks. And it should be always derived from the organization's values, and it should echo the objectives of our our leaders. I think the appropriate kind of strategic planning should span across three to five years, and it really should then define the governance plans and the transformation um, that is set ahead. Yeah. Awesome. Music to your ears, right, Pete? What are you thinking? Yeah. I think I'm finding that that the people part of this is becoming harder and harder. Right. I think that's why, you know, when you listen to the, to the providers that I work with, you're seeing the managed services escalate. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think folks are looking at their strategies and going, Hey, we don't think we're going to have the people or the expertise or can develop the people or the expertise, which is very concerning, right? We, we, we have to protect this profession. So I was having conversations today with ADP and they were talking about some of the ways in which they're starting to, you know, leverage some of their knowledge to transfer that to their practitioner clients and teach at the country level payroll. Right. And I think that's really, really important. And we're going to need more of that out there to develop and curate these, you know, curate this talent. Yeah. So getting, going from talent, you know, the talent and getting more folks engaged and more folks involved, right. Is a, is a big part of our own maybe personal mission. Right. And this podcast, we're not all growing up, (laughs) aspiring to grow up to payroll. It's a a windy road that comes from somewhere and leads you to this, this weird place. But it also means that we see stakeholders from like more diff coming from more different areas than probably any other functional 
area in HR. So whether it's, you know, your IT folks or finance or shared services or local operations, I mean, the stakeholder roadmap for for payroll, especially global payroll, is probably the most complex of almost anything I've seen out there. What would, I mean, like, how do you navigate that, Sylvia? What do you see in that area? I always say that payroll does not exist in a vacuum. We should not be seen as a siloed function. The closest stakeholders that I've always partnered with would be those who either supply, of course, data into payroll or who leverage payroll data for further internal needs and analytics. So those would be, to me, finance, HR, as you've named, benefits fits talent acquisition, but um, I think there's three that I would consider maybe more strategic, if you will. So partnering with information technology, information security, and procurement are the functions where I think um, maybe payroll is a little bit less visible to, and I think that's where we can you know, derive investments from, ensure that we have appropriate compliance, and truly get their buy-in for our sourcing strategies. So I think frequent checkpoints with those three is something that is always something that is on my mind and as a priority. Yeah, maybe it even maybe it even happens more naturally that way because IT seems to IT and finance seem to hit, you know, kind of global before HR does. It's a little more complicated, you know, in HR. And so they oftentimes they see more global stakeholders popping up and and having roles coming from IT and finance before HR gets his act together. I don't know if that's fair or not, but I'm going to say it. (laughs) All right. Well, the other thing I was thinking of, you know, when we were thinking about having this conversation, Celia, is just global payroll conversations often start or, or seem to focus on the provider of choice or the implementation. And mm. so, you know, I, it was one of the things that struck me most when Pete was introducing you is that, you know, you're starting with the framework, which feels like the right way to go about things, but like almost the never the way that that happens, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what, what sorts of things, you know, create the wake up call or, you know, right. what would you mention about, about getting yeah. folks engaged in the right capacity there? So perhaps my experience is a little bit particular because I have worked in companies with 90,000 employees plus, but the level of investment needed to reach that utopian state where we have implemented you know, software or consolidated vendors, it just takes time. And I think that wake-up call is identifying that risk of aggressive regional or global system rollouts often, in my opinion, tends to, well, have a negative effect on losing processes or people along the way, or creating, again, a change that is not going to be sustainable and won't be adopted within the organization. And I think that it just takes time to create a consolidated um, payroll landscape and creating, of course, governance prior and after to support it and enhance it is, it's, I, I think it's the bread and butter of payroll itself. Yeah. Sylvia, how much does what you're doing is your, in your role is, is actually change management and how, how involved do you get in leading a lot of that? That's a really great question. I can absolutely say that something that I like to leave was payroll branding, internal payroll branding and kind of having that visibility across various functions is a large part of my job. I think gaining and educating our stakeholders of, you know, what is the impact, what what are our areas of cross-collaboration is very important. And change management in terms of, again, 
pitching new investments, pitching efficiencies, and pitching that goal and state, it, it's a very big part of my job. Yeah, it, I think that's part. I think that's going to be a key skill for the leaders of the future in payroll. You know, when you look at what where what the role is going to become, I think change change agent is going to be a very very important role. Absolutely, and I think it also comes down to pitching what is relevant to that person. So it's you know having a, a payroll lens, but really to translate it into, for instance, cost saving, time saving. Yeah, it's translating into employee experience. Not all efficiencies that we have internal within payroll are relevant to all of the stakeholders. So I think it is reformulating and recognizing the additional benefits that we bring forward with systems and and kind of communicating that change, but that is relevant uh, to the person that we are speaking to. Yeah, it's great. I, I love the fact that you kind of started that that whole conversation with it takes time because so often, you know, folks come to wanting to address something about their their payroll globally and it becomes an exercise to wedge every country in, you know, to something new or different or a, a provider within, you know, usually a a 12 to 18 month period of time. And, and as you pointed out rightly, that, that just doesn't leave a lot of time for getting the framework right, right? and doing it thoughtfully and getting engagement and, you know, and, and bringing people along for the ride is feels like it's missing so often. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're doing your frameworks and you're planning and you're kind of setting the stage for this, Celia, we have folks that ask us all the time, where does payroll sit in the organization or where should it sit? And, you know, for that top global payroll role, like what do they really own? You know, are they just a process owner without any real direct budget or headcount responsibilities? And, and everyone does it differently, right? But, but what have you experienced there? What do you think? And does it, does it even matter? In my personal opinion, because of the volume and the complexity of external partnerships that payroll holds, overall, the technology investments and how critical the function is to the business, I think we should always hold our own budget so that we have that accountability and we have that operational oversight and we're able to check those efficiencies, benchmark ourselves and really um, have appropriate decision making. However, when it comes to that question of should it fall under HR or finance, to me, there's less importance in it because I think it's more of a question of what is the influence that payroll holds and the governance model of working with those stakeholders directly. And of course, I can say that seeing across different organizations, whether payroll falls under finance or HR, there's going to be different targets communicated and there's going to be different ideas and implementation versus needs or focus areas for transformations. But what I do see across all businesses is that the organizational structure of payroll itself often mirrors the business landscape. So let's say if you would have a company that has regional or maybe a legal entity split and they have various supporting structures that operate on that level, payroll would also be set up to support the business and that need. And I think personally, that is very efficient. So I think when we kind of look at payroll, when we look at HR, sitting under HR finance, I think I try to look at a larger 
structure and to see it as a people function or a finance function as a whole and how that is set up versus the business. That's a great way to look at it. You know, oftentimes when when I'm working with companies that are looking for a provider or providers in the, in the in, you know, to manage this with, it's so hard to explain to them how important it is, you know, whether you take a large, large country, small country approach or a region, you know, regional approach, if your ownership and your, your organization is, you know, heavily driven by regional leaders, then then, then that's the solution, right? It needs to more strongly mirror that organization because that's how you're going to govern. And, and it's, it's, it's tricky and it's different for every organization. So thank you for saying that. Pete, anything along those lines? Otherwise, I wanted to move to start asking some questions about the future of payroll and where it's headed. No, no. I think that the, yeah, the, the, the payroll, the, the HR or finance thing is going to forever be, right? It's going to be, I always call it payroll's chicken or the egg conundrum, you know, which one first. But really, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's 100% about what's best for that organization and and how it's structured. And I also think about how it's also in the maturity and the way in which they've structured their delivery model sometimes can influence part of that as well. Yeah. So yeah, lots to, there's no one size fits all is my short answer. Absolutely. That's what makes it so tricky, right? And why folks have such a hard yeah. time getting to anything that feels like they, you know, like, hey, we did something great. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Celia, you mentioned even when you were introducing yourself, some of the, you know, cool kind of newer trends and advancements and things that you're involved in and interested in. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about, you know, where you think payroll is heading, what's on your radar and, and what are you hoping to really get you know, get to dive into here in your next year? Yeah. So I think one piece is, of course, it's at the top of my mind at all times now. It's, of course, the AI Act. Yeah. And what is that impact going to be? I'm very mindful of kind of contractual clauses. I think the barrier to for market entry for new providers may be higher. I think uh, with the new legislation, you know, with payroll probably being placed right into high risk category, I think we're going to see maybe less technology advancements or quick technology advancements. I, I see there's going to be stricter controls and I want to see how the organizations are kind of separated on a company level versus a plopped into, you know, ongoing data intake stream from vendors. So I'm very mindful of that and kind of mindful in terms of contracting for anything that is, you know, kind of AI driven. So that is something that is on my mind. Hey, you know, I bet I'm sure you have more, but I wanted to pause there for just a second, because honestly, I don't know that this was as high on my radar as it is now that we're talking about it. And, and, you know, we've been talking a lot about just AI overall and the, the governance and regulation prep for that. That, but I hadn't really spent much time thinking about it from the UK AI Regulatory Act that's happened. And I, I don't know if that fits more tightly or if it triggers things with, with works councils and with other areas of compliance in the UK and in the European Union. Anything there to know about? Yeah, the EU Parliament just put something out um, recently. I tweeted about it the other day, Sylvia, where they've kind of, it's kind of like GDPR. It's like a percentage of, you know, depending upon the type of uh, failure, whether it was 
a data failure or a malicious failure or something. I think the way they use the, the term they use, there's percentages of total revenues can be fined. Do you know that? You know the one I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, right, we're going to be, uh, again, looking at rollouts and kind of country adoptions across the or yeah. world country or technology adoptions across the years to come. So it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what is approved. And yeah. Yeah. I just hope it doesn't suppress innovation is all right. I know we definitely need to go slow. We need to we need to protect people. We need to protect data. But I just hope we don't, you know, suppress, you know, the innovation and the progress and acceleration of what we, you know, what can be really, really impactful yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I cut you off before you had a chance to list some other things. So let's like hop into the next one. <laughs> Pete, I think this one is uh, one that always comes to my mind and it makes me uh, think of prior comments and discussions with you. I'm always intrigued in seeing the concept of real-time payroll. I feel like that is our holy grail. <laughs> I think it is a change of mindset. I want to see live data. I want yeah. to. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's great for the practitioner. I think it's great great for the the speed of money to employees. There's no reason why pay cycles really ought to be a month long. There's no reason why we should be, you know, processing payroll all night and through the, you know, through the evening in order to get it out the door. The continuous calculation, the, you know, the always on, always sort of processing nature and and automated nature straight through processing nature is fundamentally going to just create more frictionless processing. And I, I really love it. I think it's it's a blessing for the payroll practitioner to not be processing payroll all the time. It's just happening and you're addressing the anomalies and, and working on these these value-added things that you're doing, right? Strategizing for your business and making, you know, taking them forward in progress. So I love it. I think it's I think it's good stuff. Now the media would have you believe it's going to end the payroll profession and careers. And we all know that's insane, right? There's so much that goes on in payroll and needs pay, payroll is needed for above and beyond just clicking a button or processing payroll. So yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it actually makes it even more, it it elevates the payroll profession because when you get to the point where you're working with this always on data, then you don't have, you know, things like freeze periods anymore where the world stands still and you can go ahead and press a button safely, right? You you have to actually really be interacting with the data and with the the processes and the adjustments and everything that's happening. And, And in my mind, it just kind of, it kind of elevates everything that you have to do as a payroll practitioner. Everything's happening in the flow of work now, right? It's being presented in the flow of work. Why not pay? It should be the same thing, right? It should be a unique experience that that helps you, you know, as an employee, reach their reach their goals and and reach their potential and 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 handle their health, wealth, and retirement. Hopefully, so I love it. Money twenty twenty really really reinforced for me the impact that fintech's going to have on both payroll, but also just the experience for the employee and for people getting access to money. It's not equal as we know. And I think it's going to make things a lot more level the playing field for a lot of folks. Yeah. What else, what else there's still, yeah, I know Pete just said, you know, access to money. And I think you'd made some mention to, to payment rails and other things, got other, other things in your bag of, of goodies that are exciting to you going forward. So I think there are maybe two more things or, or so that kind of, I try to keep tabs on and see what kind of industry developments there is. Absolutely. One thing is anything that touches upon analytics. So one piece um, that I kind of try to see is what kind of efficiency can we drive internally within our team? Reconciliation tools overall. I've seen some large launches in 2023, especially in the mid-year of new technology. I want to see more. 
I, I want to see predictive analytics pop in. I hope uh, we're together also with, you know, the EU pay transparency directives. I hope this is going to be, again, a catalyst maybe for developing those reporting capabilities. I'd like to see that data to be maybe more live and kind of not only used for strategic purposes, but also maybe to supplement operational validations. So absolutely looking at, at reporting and analytics. Yeah, that's huge. That That's that's the power, right? I mean, it goes without saying the data payroll has is, is the is the key. And I'm, I'm excited to see that data gets paired and synergized with other organizational, operational data, business data. I think there's so much they can do to, to together. So exciting stuff. And that's what you're seeing all the products go towards, right? Now the generative is here. I think we're going to see that predictive capability come a lot faster. So Celia, I just have another question here. Like with all this cool stuff going on, I, I'm wondering what you think about the global payroll model. I mean, is it something that's really catching on or is it just folks in the industry or providers in the industry that just keep talking about it? Uh, waiting to see if it actually pans out and happens. Where where do you feel? Where do you feel this is all headed? I think um, it should be catching on <laughs> because there are a lot of tangible gains. And um, if not, maybe a global payroll model, at least a consolidated payroll model from an organizational standpoint, again, maybe looking at regional or um, cluster people process uh, system perspective. So I think the biggest benefit um, from from a global or regional model is um, having a standardized employee experience. Of course, we spoke about this earlier, but enablement of reporting and analytics. I think there's a little bit even more to that. I think we can have higher price efficiencies simply because we have larger scale. And I think we protect ourselves then as a company, typically in contracts as we have higher limits of liability. And all in all, I would say that kind of global or regional models also help as we've spoken around streamlined processes and really creating those, well, plans for for people and having a wider career paths across our team. So it's really limiting any people dependencies that we may have. So I think there's a lot to it. And I think uh, it should be catching on if it's not catching on. Yeah, that's very well said, Sylvia. I, I would just add to that to say that, you know, it's it, this it's doable, right? Global payroll transformation is possible. Julie, you're out there living it every day. I'm I'm seeing the cases myself, interviewing folks and listening to their to their stories. And the, the, the good news is I think the solutions are more powerful, they're more flexible, and they're more capable than ever before to handle this. So yeah, go get out there and get it get going. Get get on your path and start with a strategy and listen to Sylvia and 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 do it. You can you can do it. It's possible. It's possible. Agreed. It is very possible. Awesome. Well, I think that might be a wrap for today. Right. I mean, I, we could talk a little apparel all day long. It's it's something I love to geek out over. And you've certainly satisfied, you know, that itch for for me, Sylvia. I love learning from you and and seeing what you're seeing from your perspective. So thank you for spending the time with us. It's great. Thanks so much for the great conversation. It's been awesome to speak. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on, Sylvia. And we will be back very soon. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Bye.